That's a hockey, you know, it's only, it's only game. Young men expressing themselves for joy. Why do you have to be mad? These guys are jerks. It's only game. It's a cheap dirty game. It's only game. Why do you have to be mad? Hello, Kakupple fans, and welcome to episode 3 of the 2021 season of Mark Callanan's Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League Stat Attack podcast, presented by JNSoftware.ca, powered by Kevin E. Bear. I'm your host, John Newhold. Thank you for joining us. Last week in the Kakupple, half the teams won and the other half lost. Let's get statistical and find out why. On today's show, we'll find out if Dustin can keep up his perfect record in Tier 1 against a fierce challenger and go in-depth about one contender for the title with our Tier 1 Spotlight. Next, we'll spend a short time examining one of the new features of the world's greatest fantasy hockey league website, kakupful.com. Mark has snagged Keeping Carlson host Elon Dubrovsky for this week's interview, and after that, we'll dive into the stat attack deep end with details on players, including naming the fantasy team of the week, and finish off the show with Manager's Corner, where we'll review the Fast Track leaderboard, the Manager of the Week, and the Matchup of the Week. First, the chase for the ultimate prize in fantasy hockey. This week's highlighted Tier 1 matchup saw Dustin and his perfect record challenged by the underdog Michael at 1-2. and two. These teams were neck and neck all week, with Michael taking a slight lead thanks to excellent performances from Patrick Kane and Drew Doughty on Thursday, but Dustin clawing it back thanks to Tyler Johnson's 10-plus point night on Saturday. Going into Sunday, Michael held a slim 1.15 point lead with Riley Smith still to play. On Dustin's side, he had only Mark Stone playing that night, so he knew he had to do something. First, he had to clean up his IR to be able to make a move. Donato and DeBrusque were thrown to the wind so that his returning players could be taken off the IR, permitting him to use a waiver claim Saturday night. His go-to player? J.T. Comper. It all came down to that Colorado-Vegas game Sunday evening. With Mark Stone tallying just one shot, most of the heavy lifting was put on Comfer, who by the middle of the third period had collected two shots, two hits, and a block to claw Dustin over Michael by the narrowest of margins. But then, with seven minutes left, Riley Smith hits Connor Timmons at the Vegas blue line, and Michael is catapulted into a shock, late 192.15 to 192-point lead. Vegas is up 1-0, Colorado pulls the goalie and things look bleak with just over a minute left, only Riley Smith is on the ice, and it looks like Dustin's shot at victory may fade away with a whimper. Then, Vegas ices the puck, Colorado calls timeout, and suddenly the lines change. Smith is off the ice and Stone and Comper are on. With 12 seconds left, Mark Stone takes a shot from just a few dozen feet away at the empty Colorado net, but it's blocked! JT Comfer gets the puck with just one second left and shoots it at the Vegas net, only to be blocked as well by William Carlson. Either would have given Dustin the win, but the Yahoo standings sit quietly, showing Michael in the lead. But what's this? Yahoo's stats suddenly update. When there were 22 seconds left, McKinnon had taken a shot at the Vegas net, which had been blocked. And who blocked it? None other than Mark Stone. The Yahoo stats update, and Dustin maintains his perfect record with a 192.5 to 192.15 squeaker of a victory over Michael. So this result continues to leave Dustin alone at the top of the standings at 4-0, with Mark, Elon, and Lewis hot on his tail at 3-1. Now it's time for the Tier 1 Spotlight, where we learn more about one of the managers striving for the crown of best fantasy manager in the world. This week we're focusing in on Ben Burnett. Ben's Little King Trash Mouths currently sit at 1-3. and three. 
Ben lives in St. John, New Brunswick, Canada. Ben is 5 foot 10 and 3 quarter inches tall, which according to him is basically 5'11", which also according to him is basically 6 feet. He's a newsroom reporter by day, fantasy hockey podcaster by night. When not obsessing over one of his seven fantasy teams, he enjoys playing Switch Ring Fit Adventure. A rehabilitated former Toronto Maple Leafs fan, who even moderated a Leafs message board in his youth, Ben has been a Rangers fan for the past 12 years. Ben has never been in this position before in the cupful, with his team down in 11th place after four weeks of the season. He's lost to managers he respects as some of the best he knows, including Lewis, Marcus, and Jordan Beach, so the losses themselves aren't what he finds the most frustrating this year. Rather, the random postponements, sudden COVID-19 protocol additions, pre-game upper body injuries, and odd healthy scratches for good measure make this a really tough season for him to enjoy playing. Ben's biggest hurdle this year has been second-guessing himself. One week, he's too quick to drop Christian Dvorak or Rupe Hintz. The next, he's holding on too long to Drake Batherson, wasting a waiver pickup on someone who doesn't fit into his lineup, or blowing $17 of fab on Soros when he could have had him for a dollar. Did he think too far in advance by using weekly pickups on players to stash long-term in his IR? Should he have gone harder for the win every single week? These are the kind of questions that have plagued Ben's cacupful run this year. He's decided to apply the same mantra he's used to get through the last year in general. Be easy on yourself. Don't fret the unpredictable things too much. From the unforeseeable COVID listings to the random postponements, it's important to remember that so much about fantasy is completely out of our hands. He's spent the past few weeks reminding himself that his results this season are less a reflection of his fantasy skills than usual. Plus, COVID-19 is having many horrific impacts on the world that are more important than its impact on fantasy hockey. Make sure to catch Ben Burnett twice weekly on the Short Shifts podcast in the Keeping Carlson feed. Two trades took place this week in Tier 1. First, Joe received Falk and Gurionov, with Dustin getting Pulak and Palmieri in return. Joe, with a 1-2 and two record heading into the week, was in the mindset to shake things up a little bit. Dustin loved Pulak since the draft, and thinking he has excellent deployment and performance upside, messaged Joe about him. Joe was willing to sell low on Pulak and even made that clear to Dustin. He's worried about the Islanders' ability to generate offense in the long term. They eventually coalesced around the additional players in the deal because Joe saw Falk as someone who could potentially snipe the top power play spot in St. Louis with his fantastic recent play. And since Garyanov has been a target of his since the draft, it seemed like a good move to dump Palmieri, who's done nothing lately, thanks to the COVID postponements. Joe knew his team needed help now, and he was ready to move players whose futures were unclear to do it. Dustin was okay giving up Falk, as he feels he's been overperforming, but wasn't thrilled about losing Gurionov, as he believes his performance is sustainable, at least until Sagan's return, but that's a long ways away. Once Heeshear returns, Dustin believes Palmieri can catch Gurionov and balance the trade well. Joe sees risk on both sides of the deal, as uncertainties abound, but it could very easily wind up a fairly even trade. To him, Garyanov has a higher ceiling than Palmieri, and while Pulak's theoretical ceiling is higher than Falk's, his practical ceiling under trots on the island is a different matter. For our next trade, Elon puts William Carlson up for sale. Literally. I had wondered how long it would take after the fab can be included in trades rule was introduced for this to happen, but Elon just straight up posted in the Tier 1 Discord channel, Yard sale time. Red hot Nino Niederreiter on the block for $25 in fab. William Carlson, Everly also for sale. If you've got fab to spend, now's a chance to get a solid season-long hold. With Hall, Kuznetsov, and Ty Smith coming out of IR next week, Elon needed to drop some players anyway, so he was trying to squeeze as much value as possible out of them. 
Jeff had cut Carlson while Vegas was down with COVID and wanted him back, so he offered $5. Elon asked for 10 and Jeff accepted. Warm body Josh Norris was added to provide Yahoo with something to process, and since Josh Norris had just been rewarded for scoring a goal by being dropped to the fourth line, Jeff was unconcerned about letting him go. This week, we're going to highlight the newest feature on Kakupful.com, the free agent tracker screen. Under the Stat Attack menu, you'll find the Free Agent Tracker, a page devoted to helping you make informed decisions in your pickups for the Cuckupful. Once you select your Cuckupful division, you'll see all the free agents available in your Yahoo Cuckupful League that are rostered in at least one other Cuckupful division. You'll see the points the player has accumulated this season, the difference between their Cuckupful roster rates and general Yahoo roster percentage. Most importantly, you'll get a feel for their recent performance as their season-long average Kakupful points are shown, and then three columns compare this to their performance in the last 7, 14, and 30 days. Positive percentages shown here indicate the player has improved their performance over their season average in the specified time period. Is it a sign something in their play or deployment has changed and that you should pick them up? Or do you think the performance is unsustainable? It's up to you to make that decision, but once you do, simply press the green plus symbol on the row to be taken directly to Yahoo's waiver claim webpage to review further data about the player or place a claim in the Kakupful. Kakupful.com, making your Kakupful fantasy hockey experience like no other league in the world. Mark's guest interview today is with Elon Dubrovsky. Part of the duo behind Keeping Carlson, Elon is currently in Tier 1 of the Kakupful. Stay tuned to learn about his history, fantasy team this year, and overall fantasy strategy. Over to you, Mark. Our very special guest this week on the Stat Attack podcast is none other than the host of the Keeping Carlson podcast, Elon Dubrovsky. Elon, you're very welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Marcus. I've been loving the Stat Attack for the past couple of years. Excited to finally be on it. Yeah, it's good to have you on. Um, I want to get Brian on at some stage as well, but we'll leave him maybe for later in this season or, or another time. Uh, but it's great to chat to you. Um, I know we've we've been in communication for quite a while now, but it's good to finally get to, to chat on a podcast. Um, Elan, so just aside from hosting the, the Keeping Carlson podcast, obviously, and, and running the entire Cupful, really, um, you're also currently, as we speak, in the live standings, the number one team in Tier 1 Sweden, uh, which your team... <laughs> which your team... Uh, I, I don't know how to pronounce this. I know it's Kevin Fiala is the, is the pun, but is it the Fialast of Us or the Fialast of Us? I don't know. How, <laughs> how are you pronouncing it? Maybe it's more of a visual thing. I've just been doing the Fialast of Us. Okay. Because The Last of Us is one of my favorite ever video games. And so it just came together in my brain. It was like at like 2.30 one night. I was like, oh, that's the name. <laughs> <laughs> You're not the kind of guy who changes your name once you've picked it, no? I mean, I guess if I were to trade Kevin Fiala, then I would have to consider it. But for now, I'm very excited, by the way, to just get Fiala to, into my lineup and play a game. Yeah. Uh, I've had this team name. I don't think he's played for me for like three weeks now because he had those three games with suspension. And then right when he was about to come back, that's when Minnesota had a week and a half of games canceled. So he's just been sitting there wasting a roster spot. I have this beautiful team logo of Kevin Fiala, but with uh, enemy from The Last of Us zombie face. <laughs> Uh, on it and i'm excited for this to actually mean something to my team i was wondering what that was <laughs> i'd seen that picture a few times and i never really kind of looked into it in too much detail so thanks for explaining it um it's great to actually be able to turn the tables on you a little bit um so to speak and, and ask you a few questions um whereas it's usually you asking brian the questions is, is it strange yeah. for you to be a, i suppose a guest on a, a, a spin-off maybe of your own podcast 
I mean, it's pretty surreal. Yeah. And awesome. Like it's, it's such a fun thing. And, and you're definitely right. I'm definitely normally the question asker on different shows. So every once in a while, when I get to be a guest somewhere, like I was on Victor and Jesse's podcast a couple weeks ago, and I feel like so much more relaxing, right? Cause I, I feel like when I'm the question asker, I have so much prep to do and I'm coming up with all the stats and all the, you know, things that I plan to ask and a plan for the show. And here I feel like I just get to sit back. You sent me a bunch of fun questions and now we just get to have a chat. I feel like it's up to you to keep things rolling. Yeah. Yeah. That's my job. So let's let's get it rolling then. Um, I, I think a lot of people will be familiar with you, obviously, uh, from listening to the podcast over the years. But maybe for some people who might be new to, to the podcast or, or new to the league, maybe tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, where you live, maybe if you support an NHL team. Yeah, so I was born in Ottawa and I am currently live in Toronto. We moved back in 2012. Uh, my wife like got accepted to University of Toronto and so we, we made the big move. Uh, so I was a big Sens fan growing up ever since they started. I was like a Leafs fan for, I think, like one year. Basically, like the Sens, well, not, well, a couple years. Like when the Sens first started was in 92, 93. And that was the year that the Leafs made it to the conference finals before losing to the Kings, uh, I believe. And I was a huge fan of Felix Potvin. I was like collecting hockey cards. I had like every single Felix Potvin hockey card. <laughs> Uh, and then obviously as the Sens started becoming a team that was worth paying attention to around 97. So then I kind of switched my allegiances, became a Sens fan, and then grew to like hate the Leafs because that was the Ben of the Sens existence is every single season, the Sens would do really well and then get eliminated by the Leafs in the first round. So that was very frustrating. Uh, but I feel like I've kind of changed like ever since I've moved to Toronto and sort of got into fantasy hockey, I don't really like hate any teams anymore. And if anything now, I, you know, I have a lot of friends at work who are big Leafs fans. And so, I like, I like when the Leafs do well because then we get to be like, yeah, how fun. And, like, obviously, if they were to ever go on a long playoff run and if there wasn't COVID, it would be fun to go to bars and, like, watch the games and mm. be around all the excitement. Uh, I also have a couple of friends who are big Habs fans, so I've kind of been following them closely for the past couple of years. So at this point, I'm kind of a Sens, Leafs, and Habs fan, which I know is sacrilege to some people. But it works fine for me because they never seem to play each other in the playoffs. I guess once an actual playoff series happens, that's when I'll have to pick a side. Yeah, very good. And I remember... Um a couple of years ago on your show that yourself and Brian had a little bit of an argument over what is your hometown. Um, did, <laughs> yeah. you, did you ever decide is Toronto your hometown or Ottawa your hometown? I think of Toronto as my hometown because that's the town where my home is. But Brian is very strict about dictionary definitions. And he says it has to be where I grew up. Uh, but uh, I don't know. I don't really go to Ottawa that often anymore. And I feel very at home in Toronto. So yeah, I consider Toronto to be my hometown. Great. Okay. Um, could you tell us one thing about yourself that maybe the listeners to the show might not necessarily know? Yeah, that was a fun question. I was like talking with my wife yesterday, trying to come up with an answer. I guess the thing that probably people may not realize is I was a bit of an activist in my youth. Like when I was in grad school, I was big into the science and critical thinking scene. Uh, I started a club called the UBC Freethinkers Club. Like, we were big into like you know, debunking things, you know, people who believe in ghosts or like medical things that have no evidence behind them, like homeopathy or like these like 9-11 truther conspiracy theories. Like we were big on just like trying to promote uh, not believing in things without proper evidence and all of that. And I like started a club and like I had a whole I had a radio show there. So it was a pretty wild part of my life. And then I moved to Ottawa and then I actually joined a podcast called the the Reality Check Podcast. And I was on that for like seven, six years or, or something like that. And actually, while I was doing the Reality Check Podcast every week at that point is when I started Keeping Carlson. And I was doing both podcasts for like the first couple of years of Keeping Carlson. And then eventually I decided to quit the Reality Check because I was spending so much time doing Keeping Carlson stuff. And we're uh, we're very thankful that you did. <laughs> 
Um, it's yeah, more fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's really interesting to know that you're into podcasts and you've been recording uh, radio shows or podcasts for, for so long. Um, I, I probably consider myself quite new to the podcast game and Keeping Carlson was one of the, the shows that got me into podcasts, if that makes sense. Um, so uh, that's really interesting to know that you've been doing it for so long because it really shines through in, in the quality of the show with yourself and Brian. Let's have a look then at the Cuckupful. So can you tell me a little bit about the evolution of the Cuckupful and where it started and how it's gone so far, maybe the platforms that you've used? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I guess we only have a half an hour, but it's been <laughs> quite a journey. It's like I try to give the short version. So like we started the podcast, right? And then slowly over time. Oh, yeah. Then we came up with the idea of the Patreon. And initially, the main perk of the Patreon was people would get access to our Facebook group. And that, you know, and then we built a little bit of a community. Then at some point, I guess it was like an obvious next step. Like we should start a league. We have all these great like uh, patrons, like friends of the show that we're always talking about our fantasy league. So what if we made one of our own? And then, yeah, just sort of like year one, we filled, I believe it was seven divisions. It was on ESPN. And the idea was that in year one, it was just seven divisions. Everyone's equal. And then we were just going to say like the top two in each division will go to tier one, the top the th three, third and fourth will go to tier two and so on. And I remember in that first year, Brian came, I think like, I don't know if Brian won, but I know he came in like his top two in his division and I came third. So I was started in tier two and he started in tier one. And uh, yeah, so we were on ESPN for that one year and it was like kind of a disaster. Like there was, a, like, we actually haven't really found a platform that's perfect yet. Yeah. Uh, Cause we did ESPN. Then we switched over to Fantrax. We actually had to deal with Fantrax where they let us use their premium version and we were on there we were using all these cool stats like i really love this like goalie points three yes instead of wins so like you got credit for like extra credit for a shutout and you got extra credit for oh we were categories by the way okay. i should mention yeah and uh we had extra credit for like an overtime loss whatever and fantrax was great and i love fantrax but a lot of people had a lot of problems with it like they don't have a good app i guess like a lot of people are used to the really user-friendly yahoo app and so we we had a lot of people like quitting and then we would ask them like why did they you know stop managing their team part way through they'd be like oh fantrax drives me crazy you know people also like were upset because you know they would put a player into a roster spot and i guess not click submit they assumed that it would just happen automatically because that's how it works on yahoo mm -hmm. so like people were like oh i thought i had mckinnon in my lineup what the heck and so anyway so eventually we decided that we had to move away from fantrax which was a big like controversial thing because there's a lot of huge fantrax super fans and i understand why that we're like upset about that and now we've been on yahoo and this season on yahoo has been kind of crazy right yeah. with all the people switching from na like randomly to ir plus and like also this like terrible bug on oh i call it a bug maybe for them it's like how it should be but like how a player gets locked and you can't move them once their game starts yeah and so if you have like a player in your ir and then like they lose their ir status like right before the game you didn't have time to move them now you like can't even put in any ads for the next day you're just you're just stuck because it'll say like oh you can't make an ad because you have an ineligible person it's like okay so take them out drop them i don't care and they're like nope you can't you can't do anything just wait and so it really pisses people off yeah to me so the the logical next step in the cuckoo empire let's say is to actually develop this platform that works that uh, that does all the things that you want it to do where you've full control oh my god yeah so uh yeah pull all the the brilliant minds within the cuckoo and and build something we're already kind of I'm not going to say halfway there. We're we're a small percentage of the way there with the new cookupful.com site, which is fantastic. Unbelievable. And yeah, some of the work yeah. that Kevin and John have done on that is just sensational. 
<laughs> By the way, I, I don't I uh, don't want to be negative, right? Like Yahoo's good in lots yeah. of ways. And like I'm ha we're having a blast here, and it's like a free platform, so I don't mean to complain. It's just like yeah, it would be perfect if we could get the functionality of Fantrax with the user friendliness and good mobile apps of Yahoo. And yeah, if we have to do it ourselves, maybe we will one day. That would be a blast. Yeah, absolutely. No, I totally agree with the with the usability of Yahoo being so important for a league that has 23 divisions and you know new players and. Um, while it may not have all the bells and whistles that Fantrax has, it, it, it works for the Kukupful. And uh, I think it, I think it is the best platform to use for the Kukupful for the foreseeable yeah, at future. at the moment anyways. Yeah. yeah. And let's talk about the future then. So where do you see Keeping Carlson being in, say, 10 years' time? Yeah, like, I don't know, I was thinking... I would love if I could make a tweet and get as many likes as like Dmitry Filipovich. I feel like that would be like a good goal. <laughs> Sometimes I like have a tweet that I think is like really smart and then like I get like 10 likes. I'm like, ah, if I was famous like Dmitry. So I guess like my, you know, selfish goal is I'd love to just become more famous and have more people listen to the podcast because I think we do a good job and I think like a couple is fun and I think our community is great, but I think we're still pretty niche and like not that many people know about us. So yeah, I don't have like any big grand visions. Like I would just love for the, like the nice thing about the Kukupful specifically is it can grow infinitely, right? We could just have more and more tiers. At some point it could be like, wow, you're in tier 10 of the Kukupful? You must be amazing at fantasy hockey. Like why not if there's 20 tiers, right? So yeah, at some point I guess we'd have to maybe automate some more of the processes, specifically like dealing with inactive teams and things like that or yeah. get more volunteers. But I feel like we'd be able to grow that organically. But yeah, I would love to just see the Kukupful grow and grow because I've, the more people who play, the more people will respect the fact that whoever wins tier one of the Kukupful, which you and I are both competitors in, is the best fantasy player in the world. <laughs> and I really like the idea that that could be something we can say and have it be more and more true as the Kukupful becomes more and more known as like the premium place to play fantasy and prove that you know what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that the uh, the advent of daily fantasy as well has kind of turned people on to fantasy sports a little bit more in the last few years and um, so people who maybe would have thought of it as you know something you do when you're a kid or a teenager uh, but now it's it's real it's a real adult thing to do um, oh yeah and, uh, and I think a lot of new people who are used to just playing in leagues with their friends come into the couple and like they don't realize how much more competitive fantasy hockey can be with all the streaming and people like being totally on top of the free agent wire and not letting someone who's, you know, like, I don't know, like a Mike Hoffman or whatever, you know, like, I mean, people are like quick in, in Kukupful. And so you have to be really good at it yeah. you know, to be able to compete and do well. I love the, uh, the likes of, uh, let's throw a name out there, Dave Benton changing his team name during the draft, that kind of thing to try, try and throw people off the scent or confuse people. <laughs> Right. I'm, Any little scheme he can pl pull off to try to re get a little bit higher, uh, I guess he'll do it. You know, he, he's funny. He just recently on his last stream scheme episode was like, here's a good fantasy tip. If your team isn't doing well, change your team name and it'll like change the vibe and the juju <laughs> for your team and it'll turn your luck around. So that was so funny. Yeah, there's no better man for changing a team name than Dave anyway. <laughs> he's done it a few times already this season. Um, so, Elon, just after the success of Keeping Carlson and, you know, it, it keeps growing year on year, do you now consider yourself more of a fantasy hockey fan or an, a hockey fan? Uh, no, I would definitely say fantasy. Uh, everyone would accuse me of lying if I said otherwise. Like, I watch some hockey games and it's fun. And I specifically love watching hockey more so, like, with friends, like, at a bar, you know, uh, eating nachos and drinking beer. 
Uh, but like for me, like a hockey game is generally now not so exciting for me unless I have fantasy implications on the line. Like when I open up my NHL game center or whatever it's called now, NHL Live, I'm always just like, okay, which game that's on now? Do I have the most <laughs> players rostered in my fantasy leagues? That's the one I want to watch so I can kind of scout and see how my people are doing. Yeah, yeah. Until it gets to the playoffs and maybe then it's it's a bit more, you kind of park the fantasy for a little while and actually enjoy the sure. hockey. Yeah. Um, the last uh, playoffs, uh, we had a really fun keeping Carlson playoff pool with this elimination every round, which I won, by the way. I don't know if that uh, came through on the show. But, <laughs> <laughs> so I was pretty stoked about the fantasy even during the playoffs last year. Yeah, I fell out of that quite early, so I didn't have the same uh, the same enjoyment of the playoffs. But it was good because <laughs> um, obviously Ireland is in the same situation as most of the world with COVID. It was just good to have some sort of sport back. Um, oh, and the, yeah. the hockey came back at just the right time. And they did such a good job. Like, no games were postponed. Like, I don't think there were any positive tests in the bubble. Now it's, like, uh, kind of a disaster. Like, it's pretty wild. Like, right now, as of now, it's Sunday. We're recording this. Like, next week, there's, like, no games postponed yet. But I'm so – I'm waiting for that hammer to drop. Like, it would be so nice to just have a normal week for once where all the teams play. So we'll see. Yeah, I think the NHL have revised their COVID protocols and their COVID um, strategy, let's say. So – I. I hope that that makes a change. I, I wouldn't be too optimistic about it. Um, but look, I'd rather have this than not have fantasy. Um, yeah, so, agreed. Uh, I'm just taking it as a, a kind of a one-off season whereby we just, whatever happens, happens. Yeah, exactly. Like, But I, not to take away, anyone who wins their couple division, it's still a huge accomplishment, even if it's a weird season. Like, It's not easy to do. It's nearly more of an accomplishment because of the amount of work you have to put in just to keep revising your roster and keeping on top of schedule changes and things like that there are there is more work going into it for me personally anyway i find that i'm putting in more time to my team yeah. this year because of covid yeah i think it's a good point i think it's more like i think to win is equally or maybe even more hard but like you have more excuses if you lose like if you just happen to draft i don't know like jack eichel and you know jack hughes and like all the people who haven't played for the last couple of weeks it's like you can't Kevin drop Fiala. these guys <laughs> Fiala, of course. Well, I'm still doing well, even with Kevin Fiala. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like, I mean, I don't know. I feel like I feel bad for the people who drafted well. Plus, there was also this thing that during our slow drafts, right, like the draft started, people drafted Kucherov, and then like the next day, Kucherov was announced to be out for yeah. the season. So there's obviously a lot of bad luck, but I think that's good. It's always good to play a game where if you win, you could feel really accomplished, but if you lose, you could just make a lot of excuses. So you don't have to ever feel bad about yourself. You can only feel good. Yeah, I agree. Um, let's have a look at your Cupful team this season then. So Tier 1 Sweden uses, <laughs> uses an auction draft, um, which I suppose by its very nature will give you a little bit of extra flexibility to target the players that you want over a standard snake draft, um, where a lot of the time it can be out of your control. You know, guys could be picked up before it gets to your pick. Um, so in the auction draft for Tier 1, you had a budget of $260. You used all your budget, built yourself an 18-man roster, and... Rather remarkably, you still hold on to 15 of those 18 players, which is testament to having had a, a good draft. And even better, again, the guys who you dropped only cost you a combined total of $4 uh, from your auction draft budget. For me, this was my first time partaking in, a, in an auction draft. I put a lot of prep in, but I was still really nervous as the clock counted down and I was really drained afterwards and tired. Can you maybe give us some sort of an insight into how you approach an auction draft for any aspiring tier one players out there who might not have yet participated in one? Yeah, so I mean, I'll definitely say I overthought it like a lot, probably for like a month or two before the draft. I was like obsessing over it and trying to come up with what's the right strategy to do well in an auction draft. 
uh, because I always have preferred snake drafts because then I could just focus on coming up with my player rankings and projections, and then it could just come down to who's the best at picking which players are going to be the best, which is what I think fantasy is all about. But obviously there's this whole other component of this auction draft where you have to think about what do people value other players at and who's worth, like, you know, I know that Jonathan Marcheseau is good, but, like, is he worth $25 or only $15? So it's a whole other level to it. Uh, so I mean I could get into how I prepped it, but it's, again like it could be a long answer. I'll try to shorten it or stop me if I'm getting boring. <laughs> no. uh, but basically, so I first I made a spreadsheet and I did some calculate like so you know you have your projections mm-hmm. which I was like playing with and tinkering with like I like to get projections from a lot of different places. The patrons had projections for me to use, and then like Scott Cullen and Dom of course and a few others, uh, and you know I was like tinkering with those. Then there are some standard formulas out there to convert uh, projections into auction values so that it'll add up to 260 times 14, right? Like, so it's like take, basically you take all the hundred, how many players ended up getting taken? 200 and... 252, I think. 252, okay. So yeah, so like 252 players and then you like allocate how much money each player is worth so that the whole total adds up to the total amount of money that we spent in the auction draft. So then I had my values. I did a lot of tinkering with the values in terms of like there were because you know like it'll end up having like a lot of guys at like two three four dollars that like you just know clearly are going to be one dollar guys mm-hmm. like there was no question that Zach Cassian or Pajo I don't know like whoever like isn't going to go for more than a dollar so even if my like formulas had him higher so I was like m- manipulating and I set it up in a way like I set up my spreadsheet so that if I move some people down it'll like move everyone else up you know so that the total will stay the same so I was like doing a lot of like manipulating to come up with like the perfect auction values. Uh, then I also compared it to like last year's auction values for players just to see like, okay, if Taylor Hall went for this much last year, I'd imagine he'll go for around the same this year. And some players are, you know, you expect to go up or down. Mm-hmm. So then I had that. Then I set it up so that during the draft, the, I think my main thing that I did, which I think I would definitely do again, and I recommend for anyone to do, is I was keeping track uh, throughout the draft how much money like my uh, was spent that was like over or under the values that I had them at. So, like, if I had um, Zabanajad at 50 and then he went for 45, so that's now, like, five extra dollars that are going to be spent on extra players that I hadn't initially accounted for, right, when I came up yes. with my values. So, during the draft, I was able to tell. So, in our draft, there was, like, a lot of money being spent early on, which meant that all everyone else is going to have to go for a little bit cheaper because, in the end, like, all the money, you know, there's only a finite amount of money. Yeah. So, then I was able to, like, adjust the auction values and decide whether it's worth like you know so i wasn't going to go over on anyone because that would just you know it seemed like if anything i should be starting to get deals Mm -hmm. yeah so that was the general idea and then during the draft basically i had my values oh yeah the other big thing i did again let me know if this is getting boring but uh, this this is is fascinating this is this is what i want to hear i think this is what people who listen to the stat attack podcast want to hear as well Okay, so we'll get into the numbers here. So the other big thing I did is I sort of like figured out what I want my team to look like in terms of like, I, you know, there's 18 roster spots to fill. And I figured like, okay, I want one $45 forward. Like I basically figured out for each forward, I broke it down to like forward, defense, and goalie spots. I didn't get into like the specific positions. And then I just figured, okay, I want one $45 forward, one $40 forward, one $35. Like I kind of worked it out. I had this idea in my head that I didn't want to spend big on D. Like my idea was I'm going to get one really good defenseman and then get like value guys at the end. I had specifically Jacob Chikrin targeted and I was really happy to get him because, you know, there were, I feel like there were a few defensemen this year that looked like they were going to be a lot better than we projected. I really wish, I tried to get uh, uh, Ekblad somehow like it didn't work out and then by the time he came up I didn't have money left mm-hmm. but 
yeah, so I just had a lot of money uh, set up for forwards. Oh, and I also wasn't planning on spending a lot on goalies. So I just really had a lot of money allocated to forwards. So then, like, once, you know, I had my $45 forward spot in. So then whenever a forward went up for bid, I would look and see who are my guys who uh, I have at $45 or higher. And then if it seemed like a good deal, I would know to bid. So like Zabanajad, I probably had, which is maybe a bad example for this year because he hasn't really turned out well at all so far. But, you know, I had him valued maybe like 50 something. And so then when I was able to get him for 45, I was like, perfect. I'll put my in my $45 spot. I'll put someone who I had valued at like 50 plus. And now I've like, uh, you know, so I just tried to get like value at each of those spots and get a guy who I had valued for uh, less than what he went for really interesting yeah i think a lot of what you said there is quite similar to how i approached the draft but i think you have maybe a couple of extra steps on top of where i was so it'll be interesting if i'm in tier one if we're both in tier one next season to to see how it evolves year on year because i think this is is this the third year you've gone with an auction draft in tier one uh hmm third or fourth this is like my second time i've uh, this is only my second year in tier one but we did it for a few years before i think it's been a long-standing thing okay Okay. Yeah, it's interesting to see how it evolves. Then, um, for me personally, obviously, I had listened to the the podcast last year when you did the the live show during the auction draft, and that was really interesting. You had guests coming on, um, in a kind of a rotation, chatting away to Brian, um, and it was really good to have John on the show with Brian this time around. He was. Oh it, yeah. It's it, it was weird for me to have somebody commentating on something that I was participating in. I thought that was a really cool angle, and I hope that that stays for the next yeah i thought it was a blast yeah obviously brian's been tinkering with the format ever since he's left tier one and he's become the host before i was the host mm-hmm. and i like had a guest help me commentate and now brian's been doing it. i think that's a really good format like i liked that year that he did just brought on a bunch of guests to talk about hockey and the draft was kind of going on in the background but i thought this year was like so great john like had this like coming out party he was like an amazing <laughs> podcaster and now he's obviously on the stat attack podcast and doing a great job and yeah like i really enjoyed it as well i remember i was able to at one point like he was you know, I drafted Morgan Riley for $22 and I was really excited. And then I was able to just be like, hey, John, what do you think about my Morgan Riley for $22? And he did like a whole analysis and I got to hear him. And I remember I was actually seething because he was like saying that he thought that I overspent. And I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> You're wrong. But time will tell. Yeah. Um, so let's move on a little bit away from your team this year. Uh, sorry to have to move on. I know they're, they're doing very well for you. But um, let's just have a look at your overall approach to fantasy on a week-to-week basis. So are you more interested in maximizing your games or holding stronger players? And how early in a week do you start looking at the following week? Um, I, I presume it depends on how your matchup is going. But um, maybe just some insights into how your week-to-week management goes. Yeah, I definitely am usually familiar with both this week and next week's schedule. And anytime I'm considering an ad drop, I'll look at like what the implications would be for the following week. Like uh, yesterday, I just traded William Carlson specifically because I needed to make room. And also because I saw like next week, he's only playing Tuesday and Saturday. And so I figured like, okay, now's a good time to dump this guy. Uh, but yeah, as far as like um, maximizing games versus having quality players, like I do like to keep good players and usually how it works is i'll do my draft and then i'll have a bunch of players that aren't working out and i'll end up streaming and it's fun and but then eventually i end up like hitting on something you know because the way it works it's like it's like a natural selection almost or something right like uh Mm -hmm. at first there's a lot of like cruft and players that aren't good and then i'm like streaming them out for other players and then every once in a while most of the streams don't work out maybe they like help me for a game or two and then i drop them but every once in a while someone like hits and now it's become this person's now a hold on my team and so slowly but surely like a month or two into the season all of a sudden now i have a team of all players who i like and I now like don't even know who to drop. That's why I had to trade William Carlson for $10 fab just now. Because <laughs> I've had some great streams, I think. Like Ty Smith 
you know, like I didn't initially plan to hold him for super long, but now he was great before obviously New Jersey canceled all their games. Now I just streamed in Jordan Eberly recently, Nino Niederreiter. Like I'm not going to drop these guys. So now I'm starting to get a little worried that next week, like I won't be able to stream, which means I won't be able to maximize games played, but hopefully my team will make up for it by just being super awesome. And if they're not, then I guess then players will just make themselves clear that they can be dropped. And so then I'll be able to go back to streaming. Yeah, sometimes uh, this this will probably sound awful, but sometimes I find myself hoping that one of my players might, you know, get injured. Obviously not seriously, yeah. but just so I can put them on IR and pick up that guy who I, I really want to pick up, but don't want to drop anyone for. But, you know, I'll admit I've had that feeling as well. I always like to think of it as like, I just want someone to, you know, have a baby or something, <laughs> you know, where they just get that O status for a few days. Just give me some flexibility. Right now I've got Evgeny Kuznetsov in my NA spot. I'm not even going to play him today since uh, I don't have anyone to drop. And then by tomorrow, then when my Carlson trade goes through, then that'll open up a spot to bring Kuznetsov. And then, but yeah, like if I didn't have that trade, then I'd have to drop someone or I'd probably just leave Kuznetsov in the NA spot and wait for someone to get injured so I can make that swap without having to drop someone good. Um, what do you think makes a great fantasy hockey player? What, what attributes do you think those players have? Okay, yeah. So this is a great question, and there's obviously quite a few attributes. I think that you have to obviously be following. Like, you should know all the players and all the teams that can be fantasy relevant and paying attention to uh, the lines and the box scores and make checking if anyone has, like, gone up or down in the depth chart and if that's going to affect you. And then definitely, like we've discussed, the schedule is, like, huge, like, especially in the cupful. Like, any time you have a player on your bench, like, on a day where he was playing, that was potentially an opportunity where you could have, like, dropped that player and picked up someone who was playing on a different day or in a position that you ha had open on that day. So it's like, why waste e every opportunity for points is worth taking. So unless you have a really good reason, like, you know, just it's a super busy day and all the players are too good to drop. But like if you have a player that's droppable and he's not playing on a day, even though he, his, his team is playing and he's on your bench, like to me, that's like a waste. So you have to just be always watching and planning out your week. So those are the two. Uh, those are some basic things. Then one new thing I've learned just this year is I've really gotten behind like rejecting trade offers. Because I feel like uh, people tend to be very quick to want to move on from their struggling players. And like when you get a trade, like earlier this season, actually, I had Jonathan Marcheseau, who wasn't doing like especially well. And then I got a smart offer from the manager of Victor Arvidsson, who had a super strong start and was playing on the line with Forsberg. And I was like looking, I was like, why shouldn't I take this trade? Like Marcheseau's not on the top power play. Arvidsson is. Arvidsson's shooting more. He's getting more points. And then just something in the back of my head said like, no, you drafted Marcheseau for $20 in the auction and Arvidsson went for like six. So like. But, you know, sometimes it is a smart move to, like, make that deal, even though you're losing the, the auction value. But here, I don't know, I'm really happy that I didn't make the deal because Arvidsson got 40-whatever points last year, I guess, for a reason. And now he's been bumped from the top line. And now he's been putting up goose eggs lately. And Marcheseau's taking off. And I feel like maybe a couple of years ago I would have taken that deal because it would have looked like an obvious win based on their current deployment and production. Yeah, So and you also traded, or you actually made a trade on the 28th of January where you received um, Ricard Raquel for Josh Norris. That looks to be a positive move for you so far in terms of how they've played since. Yeah, that was just actually a John broke that down. It was really fun, by the way, listening to the stat attack and hearing John like talk about the story behind the trade. Because uh, I just like made an offer to Jeff and he accepted that we never even talked to <laughs> complete that trade. I just had too many centers and I was into Josh Norris because he was on the top line. But now again, like his deployment has changed. So I'd rather have someone who 
Yeah, I like the people who are like solid bets. <laughs> Maybe that was also like part of my draft strategy, right? Like I did. If you take a look at who I drafted and the, how you, you know, how you were talking about how I haven't dropped many of the people mm-hmm. who I drafted or uh, only dropped the lower people, it's because I didn't take swings on players in like new situations or like who were hoping for their upside, like a Lafreniere. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I just wanted to have guys who I know are like solid players in their lineup and they're, and are going to produce. And I don't have to be like too stressed out about them. So that's why like a Josh Norris to me is like, even if he's doing well now, I would trade him. And honestly, I was trying to trade Ty Smith back when he was on a hot streak and now no one bit. And then now he's oh, like in my IR plus. So maybe I'll try to get back to doing that when he's back. But like, I, I always like to try to get the more stable, safe guys if I can. Very good. If I can ask you um, now, so I'm going to ask you two questions. Um, the same question twice, really, but once <laughs> about the NHL and once about the Cupful. So if you could change one thing about the NHL and one thing about the Cupful, let's say without any uh, input or veto from Brian, um, what would you change about each of those leagues? Hmm. Well, with the NHL, I mean, then I don't <laughs> like Brian won't veto this for sure. Like, I think the big problem with the NHL right now is that they have a pretty small market compared to other sports. I think a big part of it is like it's not like the most inclusive league. It doesn't seem like there's not much representation from uh, people of color, like women, like at both the player and management level. So I feel like the NHL, like both like in terms of like it's the right thing to do and also just to make the NHL more popular to more people. It would be nice if it was I think that's like the clear, obvious change they need to make. Uh, and you know just figure out a way to get different people in this league and then like they'll also get more fans and also it'll probably be interesting like they'll probably get new ideas and and creative ways to make the league better so that's the nhl which is probably a pretty uh boring and obvious answer Uh, as far as the cupful like i mean brian and i are a pretty good team i think (laughs) like we talk things through and usually i think by the end we agree on the the final decision so there's not too much i would want to change that hasn't already been changed i've been a strong a uh, proponent of not wanting to do the tier one auction draft. And basically Brian has always vetoed that. And he's always like reached out to the people in tier one and they always side with him. So I haven't had a leg to stand on, but uh, I really like snake drafts. And I think it would have been fun to do one of the slow drafts this year instead of the auction. Uh, I had fun in the auction, like, and clearly like we talked about, like I put a lot of work into it and I think it turned out okay. But like, it, I don't, I still have this feeling like it's not as like people talk about it as if like an auction draft is like the most fair way to allocate teams because there's not the luck of you know a snake draft where if you draft like 15th then you're obviously not going to get Connor mcdavid like it's just not going to happen as opposed with auction everyone has the same chance but i think there is still a lot more luck than people you know are willing to admit because you don't have control over what other people are going to bid and you can't like uh strategize ahead like if i have two players that i both like I've like, if there's two players, like I want, you know, there's two goalies, let's say, and I know I need to get one of them. And then one of them comes up for bid. There's no way to know, like, should I just bid on the first guy, even though I like the second guy better, because I don't know how much the second guy is going to go for. Mm-hmm. So I feel like there's a lot of luck there as opposed to in a snake draft, I could just take the goalie who I think is better. Oh. So, anyway. Okay. So uh, we'll, we'll look out for maybe you suggesting that next season again to Brian and see how that And that it'll goes. get rejected again, for sure. <laughs> Um, speaking of Brian, what's your favorite thing about Brian, um, both as a co-host and a friend? Uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of things, right? Like, Brian's, like, a really good friend of mine. We've been friends forever. Uh, like, uh, I'd be very fun- curious to hear what he'd say th- about me uh, if he was asked this question. Well, when I get him uh, on, I'll make sure I ask him the same thing about yeah. you. So say something nice. Like- <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, there's lots I could say. Uh, I guess the one thing that jumps out at me, he's, like, very passionate. He's, like, a passionate person. He cares a lot about 
both in terms of like people doing the right thing like in the world and like us doing the right thing in the couple in terms of like being fair and like being a, a fun place and like I, I really like that about him like he really has things he cares about and he feels strongly about uh, but obviously I could also say lots of things like he's like a funny guy and like he's great at podcasting I think he's probably like one of the best in the biz you know like mm-hmm. I could throw a question at him and he always has a smart answer he's a great podcaster like uh so he's got lots of good qualities I'm glad you didn't ask me for any bad qualities just kidding I, I wouldn't have had it, of course. <laughs> we'll put that in the uh, director's cut yeah <laughs> um so two more questions for you Elon before I let you go um question one could you give me maybe three pieces of advice for a new cookupful player somebody who's new to the league this season and is maybe struggling yeah, actually, I kind of think that the answer for this will be similar as to what you asked me before about, um, what was it? like? What makes a great player, yeah. What makes a great player, yeah, like like the schedule, like we said. Like, uh, make sure you're very aware of that. Uh, I would say the thing about don't making rash trades if one of your players are struggling. And I guess my third piece of advice would be to make sure you're having a good time. <laughs> like, it's all just for fun in the end. Like. Some people get really angry when things aren't going their way, which makes sense. Like it could be frustrating, but at the end of the day, like this is just a kind of a fun hobby. And I think I would say like engage with your league chat. Like I think we it's really fun now that we set things up on Discord where everyone has a group chat for their league and like some of the chats are really active and fun and like you get to like josh each other when things are going well or not well. So I think that's the best way to grow in the community. And also I think you'll become a better fantasy player because the more you're engaging with the community, the more you're learning. And every, like, I feel like I'm always learning like cool new things from the different people in our different channels on Discord. Absolutely. And uh, I'm fully behind the move to Discord. I think it was a really positive move for the league. Um, just in terms of getting away from Facebook. Personally, it, the couple yeah. groups were the only reason I was staying on Facebook, really. Um, so I was delighted to have good reason to shut my, shut my account down. Um, the last question I have for you, Elan, you might have had to do a bit of prep, a bit of um, research for this one. Can you give us one player who's currently owned in less than 50% of the Cupful divisions who you would recommend owning for the rest of the season? Yeah, this is a really fun one, right? Like, uh, if you just said 50% rostered on Yahoo in general, like someone less than 50%, that would be easy, right? Mm-hmm. Like, there's a lot of really good players. But, like, the thing is that people in the couple are smart. Like, all, most of the people who are rostered in less than 50% of the divisions is for a good reason. So I was, like, scrolling through and trying to see who's available over at Kakupful.com. Like, I'd be tempted. I feel like it would be a cop-out to say, like, I could say a goalie, like Pekarine seems to have taken over for now <laughs> over UC Saros. But I'm not going to come on this show and act like I can predict that Rene or any goalie Mm. is going to be good for the rest of the season because things change on a dime for these like sort of goalies that are currently in free agency so here I got one name for you okay yes Uh, I'm going to go with Max Comtois of the Ducks he's only 30% rostered in Cupful he's got four points in his last four games he seems to be clicking pretty well with Raquel seems to me like I know it's the Ducks and like they just don't score that many goals but if you've been watching any Ducks games lately, like I watched that game where they beat uh, Vegas one nothing, and I believe it was Comptois scored the goal from a really nice pass from Raquel. Uh, so, I don't know, it seems like he might be their main goal scorer this year, like him and Raquel together. So, Great. you know, there's not like an ama- amazing group of options, but I'll, I'll take Comptois of the less than 50% rostered skaters. Okay, I'm really interested to see how his ownership changes after the podcast is released. Uh, <laughs> well, he's, he's taken in tier one, I know. Jesse has him. Okay. Um, thanks very much for coming on the show Elan um, it's been really great having you and, and learning about the Cupful and, and finding out a little bit about you as well thanks for everything that you've done with the league I'm sure I speak on behalf of everyone when I say it's really enjoyable and it's a really big part of all our lives and um, you're doing a great job yourself and Brian so, so we really appreciate it 
Man, thanks so much, Marcus. And thanks for doing the show. Like, you've done an amazing job. And yeah, it's just, it's just a blast for me that this even exists and that people are having so much fun in the couple. Like, uh, obviously, Brian and I are doing a lot of work, but also it's the people <laughs> that are participating and that make it what it is and make it a really great league. So yeah, this has been a blast. Thanks so much. Thank you, Mark and Elon, for that insight. Before we get to the player and manager stats this week, a quick minute to shout out some of those that made this podcast possible. A big thanks goes to Kevin E. Bear for his hard work on the statistical views you'll find on Kakupful.com. Kevin has taken new ideas from concept to completion in days or sometimes just hours. Make sure to give him much love on Discord for his hard work. Also a shout out to JNSoftware.ca. JN Software is a software and soft skills training and consulting company. It was started 19 years ago by my wife Joy, and since then has grown to have operations across Canada and North America. At JN Software, we provide organizations training on all manner of software, including Power BI. If you like all the charts and tables of information Kevin made for Kakupful.com, those use a similar technology to Power BI. Today, companies have just started scratching the surface of how tools like Power BI can convert their data into usable, interactive, automated reports that help their teams make better decisions. If you enjoyed listening to the StatAttack podcast today, and the organization you work for deals with lots of data, I encourage you to reach out to us at jnsoftware.ca, and we can talk about how tools like Power BI can benefit you just like they benefit Kakupful.com. Now back to the show. It's time for player analysis. The best fantasy performers from the last seven days are, in goal, Marc-Andre Fleury with 31 Kakupful points. He carried the Golden Knights through all four games this week after Robin Lehner was unable to play. A full 100 saves this week for Flurry. On defense are Victor Hedman with 23.75 points, including 5 assists, and Nashville's Dante Favreau, who's only rostered in a third of a cupful divisions, coming out of nowhere with 23 points on the back of 2 goals and 2 assists. At left wing is Brian Rust with 26.5 points in just 2 games played. He mustered 6 shots in both games and followed up his 1-goal, one 1-assist one performance against the Islanders with a 2-goal, 1-assist game against Washington on Sunday. At right wing, Cam Atkinson, who's Patrick Laine's new best friend on the top line in Columbus. His 33.5 points last week makes him the top performer, collecting 17 points in his one-goal, three-assist game against Chicago alone. Finally at center is Braden Point, with 27 points, including double-digit performances against Nashville and Florida. All aboard for Transaction Junction! The biggest mover this week was Craig Smith, picked up 19 times, but also dropped 10. Chandler Stevenson almost climbed every mountain by being picked up in 20 of the 23 Kakupful divisions without a single drop. Meanwhile, 11 teams said so long, farewell, of Vida Zainadieu to Vicek Vanacek, while only two had the confidence to pick him up. Make sure to check out the transactions page on Kakupful.com under the Stat Attack menu for more information. In Fab Fans, Jesse Pugliarvi continues to be the highest paid player in the Kakupful, as managers have spent over $80 more on him than the next most expensive player. Meanwhile, Joel Farabee is no longer the most picked up player, with Niels Hoglander and Brandon Saad both surpassing him with 45 pickups each. And now it's who's rostered and who's not stirred. All of the top 75 performers this season are rostered in all 100% of Kakupful leagues. Just outside this top 75, a few players are available in some divisions, like Tyler Mott, whose long-term injury puts pressure on IRs already full of COVID cases. He's available in five divisions. Joel Farabee, whose up-and-down season has seen him seesaw and roster rates throughout the year, is available in six. And my big fat Greek wedding stars, the Knicks, Nick Foligno and Nick Ritchie, are also available in a few as well. 
Overall, 175 players are 100% rostered in the Cacupful, while 37 players are unique to just one division. The top performer who's rostered in just one division is Austin Watson and is 50.75 Cacupful points. Philip Kurashev continues to be close behind and is still only rostered in one division despite being mentioned on this podcast last week. Looks like people may be weary of the carousel that is the top-line center position in Chicago. The greatest variance between Cacupful roster rates and standard Yahoo rates is Adrian Kempe, who is 100% rostered in the Cacupful, but only 14% across the rest of Yahoo. Meanwhile, 61% of Yahoo leagues contain Braden Holtby, while he's only present in 30% of Cacupful divisions. All of this data and more can be found on the Player Stats page on Cacupful.com under the Stat Attack menu. And off we go to Manager's Corner. After suffering through seemingly endless postponements and injuries, last week's first place in the overall fast-track standings, Doc Doc Gusev of Tier 2 Ottawa has fallen to third, 19.1 points behind the new leader, and last week's second place, Robert's Neat Team of Tier 5 Linus, who has celebrated their new position with a new name, Weaponized Cap Space. In second is Tier 3 Forlunda's Modern Malkin, and Nicholas's team in Tier 5 Melker sits in fourth. Last year's overall points champ and friend of the show, Microsoft Excel of Tier 3 Boris, has clawed his way into fifth place, just 36.05 points behind. Remember, winner gets automatic promotion to Tier 1 next year, so make sure to squeeze every last point out of your rosters. This week's Cacupful Performer of the Week is Windy City Whitetail of Tier 4 Yokerit. 257.15 points, almost 10 points more than the next closest challenger. With a record of 3-1 for the season, Windy City Whitetail is built from the back out. Vasilevsky, Anderson, and Flurry and Net all contributing big numbers last week. Then a series of high-performing D. Seth Jones, who finally got back on track in Columbus. Justin Falk, who's reappeared from the wilderness in St. Louis. Sergachev having a big week in Tampa, too. And that's not even to mention that Windy City Whitetail has Petrie and Petrangelo as well. Up front, big games from Stamkos, Couture, and Sorelli helped them become the Cacupful Performer of the Week. On this week, statistically unlikely, 29 teams are still undefeated at 4-0, while 28 are 0-4. The Blazing Turtles of Tier 2 San Jose have collected the most points of any 4-0 team, with 976.95. This is good enough for 177th overall in the Cacupful, just below the midway point, but not good enough to have squeaked out a win yet. More devastating, the Blazing Turtles have lost each week by an average of less than 20 points. A few good bounces here or postponed games there and they could have easily won a week. But for now, they sit at the top of the bottom of the barrel. This week's highlighted matchup comes from Tier 6 Pella, with Lavender Town Gasly up against Malkin Barn. One of the highest combined scoring matchups of the week, Malkin Barn, with performances from Jacob Chikrin, Andre Palat, and Semyon Varlamov, collected 224.85 points. Good enough to beat all but 15 other teams in the entire Cacupful, but not good enough to defeat Lavender Town Gasly. With big performances from various unheralded players like Tyler Johnson, Chandler Stevenson, and Kevin Lankinen, combined with consistent performances from big guns Patrick Kane and Sidney Crosby, Lavender Town Gasly's 238.1 points were more than enough to take the win over Malkin Barn. It's part of being in a head to head league. It doesn't matter how good you are if the one team you're playing that week is better. In Movers and Shakers, Abundance of Pasta of Tier 3 Boris still sits atop the moves leaderboard. But, with only one move made last week, bringing their total to 23 moves, Doc Doc Gusev, Dry Humor, Weaponized Cap Space, and Jive Drobot are just two moves behind at 21. 
This week's big spender is Fenner's team of Tier 5 Anton for dropping $34 on Kevin Fiala. Unnecessary $34 as well, since the second highest bid was $30. Overall leader Hilton's swag team is no more, as Hilton's swag team has changed its name to Dewey's Dentist. Dewey's Dentist continues to be the biggest spender with just $5 left in their fab balance. And that's it for this week's episode. Make sure to check out kakupful.com for more stats on players and teams. We'll be back next Monday to review the goings-on around the league. In the meantime, you can reach out to us on Discord, and we'll see you in week five.